0: Technically, I should have said Happy New Year, because this is the new year of the church calendar. This is day one of the year, Um, and we are entering into the Advent season. So um, for some of us, Advent is an old rhythm, and some of us, Advent is a new rhythm. So I thought the first question I would ask is, what does Advent mean to you? So uh, take a minute, think about that. Um, and then we'll come back together. you can talk. What does Advent mean to you? What is your experience? It could be, I have no idea, and that'll be easy. That'll be an easy question. Or maybe there are some rhythms in life that you finally look back on. I don't know. But what does Advent mean to you? Because we are officially in the first Sunday of Advent. So go ahead and talk about it, and then we'll come back together. What does Advent mean to you? That's a perfect segue into my next question. Uh, so thanks. Um, What does waiting mean to you? Because Advent really is a season of anticipation. It is a season of waiting, um, of holding tension. Um, So think about it. What does waiting mean to you? Uh, I don't want you just to give me the Webster's Dictionary sort of scenario. What What does waiting mean for you personally in terms of how is it embodied in you? What does it feel like? Is it easy? Does it cause tension? Uh, When are moments that you struggle in waiting? When are moments that you enjoy waiting? Uh, So think about that and then talk about it. And then we'll come back together again. What does waiting mean to you? Okay. I I was thinking about just standing up here really quiet and making you wait for a really long time as a (laughs) visual aid. What does waiting mean to you? trust? Okay, nice. Frustration. frustration. <laughs> the opposite ends of the spectrum. Trust and frustration. What else? It's not easy to do. It's annoying. Your lack of patience. Deal with it. Deal with it. What were you going to say? Did you say one? Waiting for good news, so the positive aspect. So moving from the, f- the frustration of yourself to good news. Anything else? Anxiety? Okay. Could be tension, in some or joy in tension or joy? Yeah. I mean, the, what I'm hearing is not quite a balance. Most of the time, waiting for us, is, is it an easy or a difficult thing? right? Most of the time, we lean more on the side of tension rather than we do with joy. Depends on the situation. situation. That's why, you know, not all the time, but most of the time. Uh, Usually when it's something exciting or joyful, it's because something good is on the horizon, right? And sometimes when we know something bad's about to happen, we're okay with waiting, right? It just kind of depends on the scenario, obviously. Um, but when we look to this Advent season, and I was praying because really this these four weeks leading up to the birth of Christ is an opportunity for us as the body to really lean into this season of waiting and of difficulty and of anticipation. Because yes, we hold the truth that we know Jesus already came, but there's still very many aspects of our life that aren't Jesus came and hurrah and so exciting and jubilee and all that. It's like, man, today kind of (laughs) sucked, right? We have lots of those moments, lots and lots. So I wanted to lean into that when I was praying. The word that came to mind, you can click on this uh, for the next one, uh, is the idea of fallowness or fallow. Um, And not many of us are farmers in here, so uh, fallow is potentially not a familiar term for us, so I thought maybe I would do a definition. Uh, so, fallow means uh, effectively land that's plowed and harrowed, but left unsown for a period in order to restore its readiness to bear and produce. Um, so, you know, plowed is obviously the lines where it can have seed, but harrowed is a unique expression where actually the land is tilled up and this, the weeds are removed. So the land is plowed and weeded, but instead of sowing the seeds, it's left to rest. And the idea behind it is that it's going to create a a restoration. Uh, One of the definitions I read is to increase its fertility in terms of the land. So that way it can continue to bear greater fruit. So when I was praying about that for this week, I was really asking God, what does this mean in terms of fallowness? And immediately my mind went to... The year of Jubilee. And that's what we read here in Leviticus. Um, so I wanted to unpack it a little bit because I know it's a lot of numbers and it's a lot of times this and do that. And I'm not great at math, so I needed graphs too. Um, but I want you to consider for a moment before I get to the text what does fallowness mean for you? Because fallowness is waiting. That's waiting for uh, fruit to come about in our lives. I mean if I won 't make you raise your hand, but how many of you are waiting for something? you know waiting for a change, waiting for a transformation, waiting for new hope, waiting for answers, waiting for the job, maybe waiting to retire I mean, it could just be any number of things, and it's not um, easy to live into fallowness, but I think part of what the the church calendar is is it teaches us to live into this, and so In order to do that, I did want to talk about this. So we're going to go to Leviticus 25. It's on page 98, in case you wanted to follow in the Red Bibles, because I know it's a lot of jumping around. I'm going to bring some context uh, to Leviticus. So really, this is God giving his people the law. And he's saying, if you want to live holy and righteous lives of worship, this is how you would do it. If you don't want to do it, then don't do it, but then you're going to be in rebellion. And one of the things that, uh, that God is preparing Israel for is, remember the Exodus story. So we go Genesis, and then we go Exodus, and then Leviticus. So Genesis is the whole creation story. It's how Israel is ultimately formed from the, the lineage of Abraham. And then we find that Genesis really leaves off in Egypt, and then Exodus picks up the story of Israel and Egypt as a people. And God Saving them from slavery, Slaving them, or saving them from subjugation and oppression and all of these things. And he brings them out and he says, I'm going to, just like he told Abraham, I'm going to bring you to this new land. But they were a people in rebellion. So they wander for years and years and years. And in the midst of their wandering, where they haven't possessed this new thing yet, so they're a people of waiting, God gives them the law. And we find in the midst of the law, so this is right in the the portion of, of worship, is this interesting thing called the sabbatical year. And I want to point out because the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you enter the land that I am giving you. So they haven't received this promised land yet. They're on the outside looking in. So he's providing them the way to orient themselves In waiting, so when they arrive, they'll know what to do with it. That's like maybe blue's clue number one, I guess, right? Like he's providing them a way to orient themselves in the waiting, so when it arrives, they'll know what to do with it, how it will be a response of worship when they're in this promised land. So he says, the land shall observe a Sabbath for the Lord. So I'll pause right there. I know I've talked a lot about Sabbath, but Um, What does Sabbath mean? You can yell it out. What does Sabbath mean? A day of rest? What's that? Day of worship? Okay. Day of rest, day of worship, setting it aside. There's also this idea of Sabbath wholeness, is that somehow we are made whole in the process. So he's saying something that's familiar to them, which is you will... Set aside a time or a day. But in this interesting uh, circumstance, he says, the land shall observe a Sabbath for the Lord. So what does that mean? So here, this is just to kind of, you can put it up, Tom. Um, this is to summarize what the, the following verses is that Lord, the Lord speaks to Moses. He basically teaches that six years, when you enter into this promised land, six years are going to be ordinary. You're going to go about life as you were. And especially, you know, part of the the entering into this new promised land story is that they're going to be taking the land as well. So they're going to be fighting for the land that's promised to them. They're going to be harvesting and collecting. They're going to be doing all these things. So six years, ordinary life. But the seventh year is going to be a land Sabbath. And that means the ordinary way of doing things stops. Now, we kind of do this thing uh, during the holidays, which is kind of our ordinary business, right? Uh, How many of you had a big dinner on Thanksgiving? How many of you cooked that dinner? You're probably still healing from that moment, right? And then we go, like, let's play this out for a minute. We have family that comes in, we're cooking, we're doing, we eat together, we're talking and stuff like that. We've got to do like the 5,000 dishes unless you're smart and use paper plates, which nobody seems to do, I don't know why. Um, Then we're like, hey, I have a brilliant idea. Let's go out at midnight and buy stuff, right? (laughs) And so then we pretend that we don't want to do it, but we really want to. Or now the new thing is we get on our computer and we're like, okay, where's the deal? Where's the deal, right? And now that's extended, right, from Black Friday into Saturday and then Sunday. Like, I've been getting the emails. Our Black Friday deal has extended. And then it's Cyber Monday. And then we're putting up the Christmas tree and the lights. And then we're going to all the different parties. And then we have Christmas. And then New Year, right? And then... We've got to pick up with life. We don't stop, do we? We just keep on going. New year, new me, not really. We just keep going. And we keep going. And we keep going. And um, one of my favorite things when I am pulling out decorations, now I've lived a pretty simple life because I've had to move so much. But many of us have lived in places for many years. Have you ever noticed how many more boxes you have each year? How much more cluttered your life is? You just accumulate more. I don't want to see any like husband and wives looking at each other either. (laughs) Did you hear what he said? Right? There was something that the Lord was teaching to Moses that Moses was meant to teach to Israel, which was, this ordinary way of doing life will trap you. It's very easy to get sucked in. So what I'm going to provide for you, because y'all are, well, I would have said y'all are dummies, not you all, of course, but the Lord in his gentleness is like, y'all aren't going to get it. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to provide a whole year as a reset button. So that way, you can stop with this ordinary sort of cycle and lean into rest. Now think about this. If we weren't so consumed with the Black Friday deals that we need to get and the Cyber Monday deals that we need to get and the perfect Christmas present and the work that we have to do and paying off the debt that, that we just accumulated, right? What would that free us up to do? Spend time with the family that we argue with or something, right? But, like, spend time with people in relationship. Get to know our neighbors. Be less focused on work and more focused on life, relationship, enjoying it. Are, I'm noticing, are, are you all hot? Is it hot in here? Can you, Brett, can you turn down or turn off the heat? Because I think it's, it is getting hot. I'm seeing people going, and I know it's not what I'm teaching, so... Um. <laughs> Maybe it is, actually. I understand that. It's challenging. Um, so, so God, in his wisdom, is teaching Israel that they're going to need to rest. And furthermore, the things that produces their productiveness, right, like the things that they're putting their productiveness into, needs a rest, too. So he's, he's saying, and what does that look like? Now, remember, this is worship. It's worship to rest. It's worship to set aside the ordinary. You'll find wholeness there. He's saying, you shall not reap the aftergrowth, aftergrowth of your harvest or gather the grapes of your unpruned vine. It shall be a year of complete rest for the land. You may eat what the land yields during its Sabbath. You, your male and female slaves, your hired and your bound laborers who live with you for your livestock also and for the wild animals in your land. All its yield shall be for food." Right? And it could stop there. The sixth, seventh year cycle. And that's just how it could be. But then the Lord anties up, right? Like He's like, I'm going to add to this. Not only is this going to be your paradigm, go ahead and do the click for me, Tom. This is also going to be your paradigm. So you're going to do this sixth year, seventh year cycle. And you're going to do it for 49 years. And then on the 50th year, you're going to have the year of Jubilee. Now, I didn't want Brett to read the entire chapter, but the entire chapter, um, you know, you texted me, is that all? I should have made you read all 55 (laughs) verses. Um, This year of Jubilee, basically from verses uh, 12 on down, is all of the things, all of the aspects of the year of Jubilee. And I suggest that you read it. But to give a summary of it, basically what God's saying is, you're going to go about your ordinary life, but on the 50th year, everything is going to change. Okay, so I will I'm gonna say this loud. I will not make you raise your hand if you've ever been in debt before, okay? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) thank you. But that's a common experience. I've been in debt before, and uh, it's frustrating. It causes anxiety. Those are the years that you learn from the most. Those are the years that you learn from the most. And then, all of a sudden, God comes in, and he says, you know all those debts, all those bad decisions, all those bonehead things that you lay up awake at night, and you're like, why did I do that? I'm going to restore all of it, just like that. Now, how many of you, when you would look at the credit card statement, would be like, I could need a year of jubilee, right? Like, wouldn't that be amazing? But for, for those people that are profiting off of it, they're like, oh, shoot, year of jubilee? Well, that's not good. <laughs> All this land that I've acquired, it's going to go back to the families. All of these bad decisions that I'm profiting from, it's not going to happen anymore. There's this tension. And part of the reason why uh, God, I, I think in his infinite wisdom, did something like that is basically... The six to seven-year cycle is preparation for the big stuff. Right? We, We talked about, somebody said, about waiting is this idea of trust. Can you imagine, because you still have to, like, pull back from harvesting and all that, can you imagine just giving back the land to somebody that already made a mistake? Can you imagine trying to get through those jubilee years without harvesting, without doing the work? Can you imagine life where you're like, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, this is So God gives in this six to seven year period, he's basically giving many jubilees so that way people can get their hearts ready for the big jubilee because it's going to be completely disorienting. It's going to reorient them around his kingdom, around worship, around hope, around trust. So this is the interesting thing. Um, This never happened throughout Israel's entire history. There's no record whatsoever of Israel ever doing that. Instead, what happened is completely different. Now, um, I want to first say that um, God clearly seems to understand what humanity's heart is, and I'll just read you how we know that. Verse 18 says, so he presents this idea of the land Sabbath, and then he presents the idea of the Jubilee. And then verse 18, this is what he says to them. You shall observe my statutes and faithfully keep my ordinances so that you may live on the land securely. The land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and live on it securely. Should You ask, what shall we eat in the seventh year if we may not sow or gather in our crop? I will order my blessing for you in the sixth year so that it will yield a crop for three years. I mean, look, he's saying, okay, six years, go about your business. Do what you're going to do. Get in debt. Do all the dumb things that we do, right? Seventh year, it's my way. (laughs) And not only is it going to be my way, but I will provide three years' worth of stuff. But humanity is like, but, like, what am I going to do, though? I I can't trust you. And God, in his wisdom, said, but you can. And this is how you can trust me. So, I said that this never happened. I, I put, it, put it in the back that there is um, there's this thing that I printed up. It was written by this person named Amber Dillon. Um, it's from the Bible Project, which I've mentioned multiple times before. It's called The Sense of an Ending. What is the real last book of the Old Testament? So if you thumb through this Bible that we have right here, the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi, and it's the prophet. And there is this over 400-year gap between Malachi and Matthew. But that's the Christian canon. The Hebrew canon is different, and she actually talks about this. I'm only going to give a summary of what she said because I think it is utterly powerful because she actually talks about, and the Hebrew Scriptures, actually the last book of the Old Testament, is the book of Chronicles. And it's not first and second, it's just the Chronicles. And in this, you have... Basically a story. So if you've ever read and you can look through in this Bible here, there's always the content, so you can thumb through. But it goes first and 2 Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, then 1st and 2nd Chronicles. And if you've ever been brave enough to do the Bible in a year, you kind of like, you read Genesis, you're like, okay, cool, Exodus, okay, I can deal with that. And then you get to Leviticus and Numbers, and you're like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? Then maybe you make it to Deuteronomy, Joshua, and Judges, because that's all interesting. Many of us have read Ruth. And then you start hearing the story about the kings. And you're like, okay, I'm following along, I'm tracking. And then you get to Chronicles, and you're like, I just read this. Why am I reading it again? And the reason why is because that was the very last book. And the chronicler was looking towards something. So he was reminding them, if you actually read Chronicles, you'll read a genealogy. And when you read the genealogy, when you get to Matthew, what's the very first thing that you read? Is a genealogy. It goes Chronicles, genealogy, Matthew, genealogy. It was all couched together, okay? And what the chronicler was pointing out was that, uh, put it back for me. Thanks, Tom. Was that this is how it was supposed to be. But unfortunately, that's not how things were. So what happens is, is that Israel, and through their kings, lived in rebellion. They didn't want to wait. What did they do instead? They kept on working the land, and working the land, and trying to produce, and trying to produce. And instead of enjoying the benefits of Sabbath, instead of enjoying the benefits of rest, instead of enjoying the benefits of family, and love, and relationship, and wholeness, they kept going, and going, and going. For how long? 490 years. When you do the math, that's 70 years of missed Sabbath. And you completely missed the Jubilee. But 70 years worth. Guess how long they were in exile for? 70 years. Interesting, right? So Israel's like, no, I'm going to do it my way, I'm going to do it my way, I'm going to do it my way for 490 years. God's like, okay, look at how your way got you. Like, this is your best version, is exile, destruction. So for 70 years, what happens is, yeah, they're in exile. But what happens to the land? It rests. Now, uh, if you keep on going, and and Amber does just a brilliant job of explaining this, and that's, I printed up 12, and if I run out of them, I'll email you a copy of it too because she does an unbelievable job of explaining it, um, making it very clear But in the midst of that seventy-year exile, so Israel is no longer—they're dispersed people that are trying to figure out life. Towards the end of that dispersion, Daniel writes a prophecy, and in that, Daniel says, "Here comes Gabriel," and uh, I'll—I think it's—was it Daniel? Yeah, Daniel nine, if you wanted to write that down. So basically, the idea is at this end of 70 years, Israel, they're going to get the big picture. They're going to understand, and then there'll be hope. They'll go back, and things will be good. But instead, what happens is Gabriel comes to Daniel, and he says, hey, listen, they're still not getting it. And unfortunately, there are consequences to that. So guess for how long Israel, they move back to the land, but guess how long they're oppressed for, 490 years. (laughs) And guess who comes after that period of time? There's this verse in Luke. Now, the year of Jubilee was the year of the Lord's favor. I want to read you something that Jesus says. This is Luke 4, starting in verse 16. of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The guy, the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I get goosebumps with that. <laughs> and the reason why I get goosebumps is because Israel is waiting. For something different. They're waiting and they're waiting and they keep on getting stuck. Have you ever just been stuck in your own stupidity? <laughs> I'm so guilty of that. There's so many times I'm like, why am I doing this? I don't even want to do this. That's scripture. And then in the, it's usually like when I'm arguing with my kids or something like that, you know? I'm like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. There's so, like, I could just calm down. I could give them a hug. It would be good. But I'm like, no, I'm going to yell at them instead, because that seems to feel better. And I get stuck in this cycle where I keep going and going and going, and I'm looking for something outside to say, hey, chill out, stop. That's what this is all about, is to remind them that the way of the kingdom of God reorients us towards healthiness. And and so Jesus is ultimately proclaiming, hey, all of the ways that you've been living, you know the results of that. I've, I've come to proclaim jubilee, where I will make all things reordered and right. Now, Part of the Advent season is we know that Jesus came. We can't ignore that, like the push that out of our heads and just say, let's pretend like Jesus hasn't come yet. We can't do that, can we? The reality is we know that Jesus has come. Now, 2019, almost 2020, um, how many of you throughout this past year have just looked at things around us or even your own personal life and just been like, really? <laughs> this is it? Like this? This is what I get? Or this is what we've got? And in the midst of that, there's a promise. The promise is that Jesus is coming back. And just as he set things all right through his death on the cross. Like he, not only, this is the thing, the jubilee year, after the jubilee year, you can get right back into debt. You can get right back into that cycle of unhealthiness. But in Christ, you don't go right back. It's paid for completely. And so when he comes back, that waiting period that we're in right now, is he's going to break through. And everything gets put to right. So I say to you, like, maybe, maybe just maybe, what are the things that you're struggling through right now? And instead of, waiting for the fruit or waiting to sow seeds, go ahead and put that back up, Tom. The, You can just click over. We were okay with fallowness. Because if God is teaching Israel anything, it's fallowness is part of this. It can't just, boop, everything's better. There's a process to it. I mean, um, One of the things that I've learned as a parent is, uh, you know how you're like, don't do that. And if you do that, that will be the consequence, right? We're all familiar with that. It doesn't even require parenting, just with kids, in any sort of setting or anybody that's younger than us. Do not do that or this will be the consequence, right? Inevitably, the child does it. And you're like, really? And then something interesting often happens I don't care how good of a parent or how good of an adult that you are you're like well look how sad they are Mm -hmm. (laughs) or man you're really annoying maybe I should just give you the iPad (laughs) and so what happens like okay here's the lollipop and they're like oh my gosh thank you I'm so excited And then immediately afterwards, you're like, man, I shouldn't have done that. (laughs) And why? Because you know in your heart of hearts, they didn't learn anything from that. They didn't. There is something about waiting that teaches us how to appreciate the jubilees. If we don't have the waiting, is there even really a jubilee? If we aren't oriented around this idea of Christ hasn't come yet, when he comes, how meaningful will it be for us? If we can't look at the world around us and say, our world and I need this Savior, then when he comes, we'll be like, okay, cool. Good to see you, Jesus. And isn't that what happened to so many people? That's why their eyes were on him, because he was doing something different. There was authority and power to what he was saying. So this Advent season, I want us to not just look at the hope that's going to come. And that's what the candle is today. I'll read you two verses. Every year for Advent, we uh, light candles. You can click two times for me, Tom. So it's the candle of hope. But you can't really appreciate hope until you've experienced hopelessness, can you? Because when you've experienced hopelessness, where there is nothing that you can do but just sit in it, when hope arrives, oh my goodness, what does that feel like? I'm going to read these verses to you. This was Israel's hope. Um, Go ahead, Tom. It says, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety and this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Israel was waiting for somebody to set things right. And they couldn't see hope. I mean, can you imagine over a thousand years of waiting for things to be set right. How many of you have been waiting for a really long time for that breakthrough, for that change, for that transformation, that new hope, right? But God doesn't leave it there. This is the thing that he provides to us as well, not just to Israel. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse shall come, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles, and him the Gentiles shall hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when you see this candle, you're not just going to think of hope. My hope is that you'll actually think of waiting, anticipation, trust. It's not easy, but what do we celebrate on December 25th? His birth. He came. He is coming. He is faithful and true. Consider the text here. What did he tell them in their waiting? I will provide three years' worth of provision for you. The only thing that you need to do is trust me. So um, I have this question for you that's kind of a takeaway. It's not to be answered right now. The question is, what does fallowness produce in us? Another way of saying this is, what does waiting produce in you? Why do you need waiting? Yeah. To be ready is right. But what does that actually mean? For what? What if your waiting or your fallowness is way longer than you anticipated or expected? how will you lean into that wholly? Instead of like, okay, I'll just say this and then I'll be quiet. A lot of times when we wait, we're just waiting to get to the next thing. Have you ever looked at waiting as a Sabbath rest before? I never have. I confess to you. I've never looked at waiting like an opportunity to find wholeness in God. What if that was our waiting though? What if our waiting was God, thank you for the Sabbath rest. Thank you that I get to trust in you. Thank you that you can make all things new. I don't know when. I don't know how. Thank you that you hear me when I whine and complain that I want it right now. But what an opportunity, I think, for us in this Advent season. Yes, we have hope. But it's because we have the God who is with us in our hopelessness. So when he breaks through come alive. If you reflect on this question, what does fallowness produce in us? My hope is that it will produce Sabbath rest in us. I hope that it will produce trust in us. I hope that it will produce love and patience and kind of all the fruits of the Spirit. There was a thing that we read just a minute ago in Romans that he will be our king. That's what Advent is declaring. He is our king. When we watch the news, when we hear that horrible news from a family member, when something unexpected happens. He's our king. A king of the fallowness just as much as he is the king of jubilee and fruit. Let me pray for us in our fallow places today. Um, God, I thank you that just like with Israel, you say, hey, I'm going to take care of you. I think that you say the same thing to us. And we see that um, just over and over again in your word, that you are a God of hope. You are the God of the complete jubilee. We are a people of the not yet and that not yet means that you will be coming back, that your promises are true, that you will make all things right, that you will make all things new. So as we wait, God, and as we pray for your return, and as I've looked around this room this morning and just being aware of the fallow seasons of each of our lives, yeah, there's some great harvests and there are beautiful things, but all of us are waiting for something, God. I pray that you will give us the courage and the strength to trust you, I pray that we could trust uh, in your promises of hope that you will break through just like you were in that synagogue so many years ago after Israel had been waiting and waiting and waiting. Exiles in their own land is that you declared the year of the Lord's favor and then you showed what favor looked like. I pray that you could show us what favor looks like. Not through new things or more stuff but for... New hope in you, for new joy in you. Um, God, I pray, especially for those of us that have had a really difficult year um, and there doesn't seem to be an end in sight. I pray that we could be a community that can proclaim these things alongside of those that are struggling and hurting, that just feel worn out. Help us uh, to lean into Sabbath rest together for restoration and renewal because that's your invitation to us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.